This is the report that I have then about annual conference. And as I was saying, many of y'all saw the um, article last Sunday in the Dallas Morning News uh, from Oaklawn, about Oaklawn UMC, Isabel Marquez and Ryan Wager. They were licensed as licensed local pastors, but they were not appointed to Oaklawn United Methodist Church as Oaklawn had, um, had requested. Uh, the way that works is um, you, a, a clergy, a pastor, can, uh, has the authority to pastor either by virtue of an ordination or by virtue of a license. And I was a licensed local pastor uh, for three years, then I was commissioned, and then I was ordained. And so licensing is kind of that first step. But since you're not ordained, if you're not appointed, then you still maintain lay status. So by not being appointed, then even though they are licensed, they are not considered clergy. If they had been appointed, they would have been considered clergy. Uh, and and it, that can go back and forth. That did not get resolved. And in fact, why they were not appointed, I'm very unclear uh, about why that happened. Um, my suspicions is that a lot of this is a test of wills that has gotten out of hand. But I don't know that. I do know that I had never met Isabel or Ryan before, but I made a point of introducing myself to them over annual conference and just telling them uh, that they were in our prayers and how sorry that I was that they seemed to be caught in the middle of this. Um, however, they... Oak Lawn is free to hire whoever they want to. They're free to uh, give them any, any title that they want to give them. And because most United Methodist pastors do not wear collars, the United Methodist Church does not have rules about who can and cannot wear a collar. So they're going to still be working at Oak Lawn like they've been doing. They'll still be called pastors. The only way they would get in trouble now is if they actually try to perform, a, a consecrate Holy Communion, or do a baptism. And that would be against the rules if they're not technically clergy. But at least Isabel and Ryan are still going to be in ministry at Oaklawn, as they have been now for quite some time. So that did not get uh, resolved. But a lot of other really great things did happen. One of them is, uh, just trying to go in the chronological order they happened, the consent agenda... Um, that had many, many different things on it. But one of the things on the consent agenda was a new policy by the Board of Ordained Ministry that they've been working on since I came through. For three years, they've been working on this. And they finally agreed on a policy that now when the Board of Ordained Ministry considers any candidates for ministry, whether it's licensed or commissioned or ordained, they are not going to take sexual orientation gender identity or expression into account. Only the qualifications of the candidate. Um, this is huge. Um, it's really, they're really gonna, they're, what they're really saying is we're not gonna follow church law. Um, and that's, that's a big thing. Uh, and they've been trying to agree on this for three years and they finally found a way, the right wording that they could agree and I think felt like they could get in the least amount of trouble for. Um, but, they, but as, as a tactic, they put it part of the consent agenda, which was, which was uh, that was a risky thing. That's the word I'm looking for. That was a risky thing to do. And there was a motion to take it off the consent agenda for discussion, but that motion did not pass. And so when the consent agenda was passed, 
that policy got passed, and that's now the official policy of our Board of Ordained Ministry here in North Texas. And this is, this is huge. It really is. This is huge. Um, and uh, it, like I said, it's something that they've been working on since I was ordained. And partly they were working on it because I came through the system, um, which makes me uh, feel like th that makes me feel good. Mon that was Monday morning or Monday afternoon. Monday evening, we had our commissioning ordination service. And again, just to remind you, um, after you, for most people, after they finish seminary, then they get approved for commissioning. At commissioning, you also are licensed at the same time. But you're called a provisional elder, a provisional deacon. You're then considered clergy, and you are given an appointment by the bishop and the cabinet. Uh, so we, then you go through a two-year residency. If you successfully complete your residency, then you're eligible for ordination. Um, but we had two important commissionees that night. One of them was Travis Burdett, who was our former office manager. Um, he went up there with uh, his wife, Nikki, and his mentor, Catherine Shrimpke, and he was commissioned, and he is going to be the associate pastor now at Rockwall, I think. Um, but I can tell you, anyone who gets commissioned or ordained, they're practically walking six inches off the ground. Because I can tell you, it's one of the greatest highs you will ever feel. And uh, Travis had a smile on his face that you could not wipe away. It just went from ear to ear. Uh, so it was very great to see Travis. Um, he's had a very circuitous road to this point. And so it was great to see him commissioned. Also was commissioned was Randall Lucas. Uh, he has been on staff at Lover's Lane. He is openly gay, and now he has been commissioned. Uh, so that makes him now officially clergy. He's going to stay there at Lover's Lane, but now he's going to be Reverend Randall Lucas. And um, he, I don't know how old Randall is, but he's kind of middle-aged. Um, but that was great. I'd, I'd never met Randall before. I introduced myself to him as well. What really, really, really got me excited was then who we ordained. Uh, three years ago, I was the first openly gay person to ever be ordained, and I've been in the South. And I've been the only one for three years until six days ago. And we ordained Roy Atwood and Marcy Liptoy. Uh, both of them are out. Um, both of them have been ordained now. And now I'm not the only one, which, is a, which is, I'm very, very happy about. Um, again, they're walking about six inches off the air. Uh, you're, always, you're always ordained in alphabetical order, so Roy was the first of those two. But Roy's quite a bit taller than me, but there is a picture of him kind of, you know, leaning over in us in the same photo. And um, when I went up to Marcy to congratulate her, she, she practically jumped into my arms. She's so happy. And I can tell you the, day I, the night I was ordained, I was hugging everybody. I didn't care if I knew them or not. Um, but anyway, it was just, it was wonderful to see them up there. I could not be happier to no longer be the only one. The only thing that um, is a shadow on this is that prior to annual conference, as I said last week, Roy had charges brought up against him by one of our conservative clergy colleagues. Uh, evidently, a video um, that, that appeared, that's a two or three-year-old video, 
is out there on social media where he talks about being gay and being in a domestic partnership. Um, and that was the basis for the complaint. Um, he's actually no longer in that relationship, so I think this complaint is going to be dismissed, but it, it hasn't been yet, and it's just very, even if you're innocent, in a sense, to be arrested is very, very stressful and anxiety-producing. And so um, I, I, I was pretty mad that my colleague decided to take what should be one of the greatest nights of Roy's life and add this shadow to it that didn't need to be there. I think Roy's going to be fine, but I, I still feel really, really bad about, about that happening but still really happy overall. Um, that was Monday. On Tuesday, uh, that's when we do most of the, the, the consent agenda was earlier, but most of our other legislative items that we're gonna vote on are then uh, on Tuesday. Um, and several, four resolutions were added at the last minute, but you run out of time. And so um, only one of those four got voted on Two of, the, two of the resolutions that did not get voted on did concern Isabel and Ryan from Oak Lawn. Uh, but the, the bishop makes the decision about which one of those we have time for. And so that's, the bishop was not going to hear either one of those resolutions, which is part of why I think this is now a, test of, a contest of wills. Um, he also did not take up a resolution that was signed by multiple clergywomen, myself included, um, concerning abortion. And what the resolution was is that regardless of Texas law, we were going to follow the United Methodist social principles. And if you've never read the social principles uh, on abortion, you really should. It's, it's incredibly nuanced, um, very theological, um, just very, very well done. It's very sensitive, yes, that's another great way to, to call it, it's sensitive. Um, the bottom line is that the Methodist Church is officially pro-choice, but we realize that this is not happening in a moral vacuum. And so the wording is something like, you know, we're hesitant to approve abortion, but we do recognize sometimes the tragic, tragic conflicts of life with life, and therefore, uh, we support the legal option for abortion and that we are going to support all women no matter what they choose and be in ministry to and with them. Um, but nowadays, as you know, the, the, I mean, a clergy person, um, I, I could be sued if I, if I helped a woman get an abortion just to drive her to a clinic. As you know, now I can get sued. Uh, so that was important for the women. Uh, many, many women signed on to that, but it was never brought for a vote. However, the thing that was brought for a vote, if I had to choose one of those four, this is the one. I'm glad this was, was for a vote. As you also are aware, our, our um, governor and attorney general um, a couple of months ago said that if we provide gender-affirming care to children, it will now be considered child abuse. Um, which I, th I, I, I think is one of the meanest things I've ever heard. And when, you're, when you start bullying children, you've really sunk to a new low. To underscore that, mandated reporters like clergy and education are required by law under this ruling to report any instances that they come across, which I flat refuse to do. Yeah. I mean, if, technically we break the law if we don't report it. 
Now, a few months ago, our, as soon as this came out, our bishop checked with the legal counsel for the conference. And the legal counsel said what many of us now have read in subsequent articles, that uh, the governor's pronouncement is not legally binding. Um, so therefore, the clergy are free to choose not to report it. Um, we decided to go further than that, though, because nonetheless, these investigations are starting to happen anyway. One of my clergy friends, uh, he and I were, uh, we got commissioned together. We were in the same residency class together. We both got deferred a year, and then we both got ordained together. And when I was at my ordination with, with my uh, family, Jeffrey and his wife and his child were sitting directly in back of us. And uh, his child is transgender. Um, and I have heard Jeffrey talk about, first of all, it's just difficult. No one wakes up and says, you know, I think I'm gonna change genders today. You know, this is, this is a long drawn out process. I think his child is somewhere like eight to 10 years old, I'm not exactly sure. But I know that Jeffrey, his wife, his ex-wife, the mother of the child and the child, they're all in family therapy together. Now imagine trying to go to family therapy with your spouse and your ex-spouse. But they have put their differences aside because of their mutual love for the child. And all three parental figures wanna be, be on the same page and doing what's best for the child. And that means having family therapy and listening to the psychologists and the doctors and the social workers and trying to, and, and you don't need CPS coming around to then start investigating you. Now Jeffrey, as a pastor, he's used to speaking in public and he, he wrote this resolution. And the resolution went beyond just that we are free not to report it. And it was a resolution that in Methodist churches, we will not report it. And that transgender families are safe in all, not just reconciling congregations, but in all United Methodist congregations in our conference. And I can tell you this, out of the hundreds, hundreds of people that were there, it got about 10 no votes. I mean, this passed overwhelmingly. Uh, even my conservative colleagues voted for this. Because um, we all agree we shouldn't be bullying children. And Jeffrey gave a very uh, logical presentation of the facts. And he reminded us that the trauma happens the minute that CPS person arrives on your front door. Because they're going to ask all your neighbors, the teachers, the, 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 your, your previous employees. They're going to be so intrusive into your life as part of that. And that in and of itself is traumatic. And so Jeffrey did this reasoned argument. Another father, though, got up there and was very, very emotional. And Wesley and I were discussing before that it was good to have this logical father and this very emotional father. Um, and the emotional father just got up there with, with crying and with his voice breaking that what the state is doing to our family is obscene. It's obscene what they are doing to us. Um, so that was very moving. And then a, a, a youth worker got up and said, I have parents calling me because now their transgender children are suicidal because they're so afraid they're gonna be taken away from their families. So I could tell the bishop felt strongly about this. That's why we had time for one, that's the one that he chose. And I think that was the right choice if we only had time for one.
And he spoke, uh, after the vote, he, he spoke um, eloquently about these families, and we even had a, a moment of silence to, to, to pray for these families. And so I'm glad to see that there's every Methodist church in our conference now is going to be a safe place for transgender children to go to. And I think that is wonderful. Um, so, and it, and it just it underscores then why it's so important for us to be giving to the Tre Trevor Project. Because when those kids are threatened with maybe being taken away from their families, that, that uh, the Trevor Project may be who they turn to to get some help and to get some counseling for that. So that was, that's what happened then at our North Texas annual conference. And even though it was overshadowed by a few things, Isabel and Ryan from Oak Haven and the, and the charges against Roy, overall, I couldn't be more pleased. Uh, I couldn't be more pleased that we passed that transgender resolution that the Board of Ordained Ministry has officially and publicly changed their policy and to watch uh, Randall and Travis get commissioned and Roy and Marcy be ordained was just fabulous. Um, I was almost as excited as they were to see them. Now, let me let you tell you, though, what's going on in the Florida conference. Because um, many of the annual conferences are roughly at the same time, but there's, a, there's kind of a period. Um, so the Florida conference has been meeting this week as well. The Florida Conference, which includes most of Florida, the Panhandle is part of southern Georgia, but most of Florida, um, their Board of Ordained Ministry decided to approve two openly gay candidates for commissioning out of 16. Two out of 16 were openly gay. They have a tradition in their conference that they present the commissionees and the ordinance as a slate that you actually you vote on all of them up or down. They started doing this in the 70s, and I think the reason they started doing it is so they could try to get female clergy passed, which would have been controversial in the 70s. But they, they did this same tactic. I think they were hoping that even if you don't really like the fact that we're going to commission two openly gay candidates, you're not going to turn everybody down. That's exactly what happened. What? That's exactly what happened. So none of those 16 got to be commissioned. Um, you have to, once the Board of Ordained Ministry approves you for commissioning or ordination, then the clergy session votes on you. Um, in the North Texas Conference, and this started, just a, this started the first year I came up, and I don't think that was a... Clergy session used to be the same time as laity session, just right there at the beginning of annual conference. We've now moved clergy session several weeks ahead. Uh, and I think they started that with me because we've n never turned anyone down, and just in case I was turned down, I would rather know it three weeks prior than right before. Um, and we also vote, as most annual conferences, we vote on the individual. Um, but we've continued that, and so we vote on the individual. Um, but you have to have 75% approval by the clergy session. They got 72. So almost three quarters of the clergy was backing them up, but none of them got commissioned uh, because there were enough conservatives that were willing to turn down the entire class of 16 commissionees because of those two. Several things are in the works about how to, one idea is to have 
another conference, commission them, and then appoint them back to the Florida conference? Because I'm sure their cabinet already has appointments for them. Um, that may happen. Um, so we'll just have to see, but they're going to do it quickly because the, the new appointment year starts July 1st. So that's what's happening in Florida. Um, I, I wish I'd remember, I didn't want to go into the whole story, but I'd like to lift them up in prayer um, in the next few weeks. So um, any, any then questions or comments or emotional outbursts about any of that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm staying. <laughs> well, let me tell you one other thing, because I, I was sitting there with uh, Evelyn Glass and Carolyn, um, and at the, very, at the very end, they have a closing worship service, which has communion, and they, they project all the new appointments, and that's called the setting of the appointments. And, and, and it's not absolutely official until that happens, but by that time, I mean... Um, it's rare now that someone doesn't know they're going to be moved, say, by the end of April. I did say this. We had a, at our worship um, meeting, if, there was talk in January or February that I might be going to another church. Another church had requested me, uh, which is very flattering. But I had already decided that if they tried to do that, I would ask for what they call reconsideration, saying that I don't want to go there. I want to stay at Trinity. Um, the church requested me, but I guess for whatever reason, the cabinet made other decisions, so I was never asked, which is fine, because I wanted to stay at Trinity. Um, but anyway, normally, I, I look at the projections because I want to see my name up there. But what happened, I, I went up to, let me back up a little bit. The bishop that ordained me three years ago is the same bishop we have now, Mike McKee. He was also my youth pastor when I was in junior high school. We have a long history together. Um, but it was stressful three years ago when he had to ordain me. Uh, he was under a lot, under a lot of pressure. Um, even though I had been, a, you know, I was approved by the Board of Ordained Ministry and I was approved by Colorado Session. Um, he never at that time said anything to me other than the congratulations he said to someone else. And to be honest, I always had kind of a chip in my shoulder that he never said something like, um, I, you know, I'm glad I was the one to ordain you, or at least I'm glad the North Texas Conference was the first person. Never said anything personal to me at all. I was like, well, okay, but he ordained me. That's what he needed to do. And Well, this, this service, I, different people in different parts of the sanctuary, you're supposed to go to, you're, you're led to different stations. There's so many hundreds of people that have multiple stations. It just so happened that the bishop was at the station that me and Evelyn and Carolyn went to. And so I, I went up to accept the wafer. And he gives me the wafer, then he holds onto my arm, and he leans over and whispers in my ear, I want you to know that one of the greatest honors I've had as bishop was to ordain you. He's never said anything like that to me before. Uh, and it was really nice to hear. Um, he's, well, he's going to retire, so uh, he's retiring at the end of this year. It would have been great if he said it three years ago. Uh, it would have been also great if maybe he'd also said that in public, but I'll take it, because it was very meaningful for me. And I, all I could do is just look, I said, thank you. Um, 
So that was, that was very meaningful to me, an annual conference that ended on an extremely high note for me. Um, we'll see what happens when my good friend Greg, uh, on October 1st, I will be co-officiating a same-sex wedding. My friend Greg Neal, who's senior pastor at Lakewood, is engaged. Um, when he marries, he will be the first active clergy person in our conference to get married to a same-sex partner. A few years ago, Mike House got married, but he waited to retire, and then he got married. And since he was retired, no one bothered to bring charges against him. Greg is still active clergy, and we're afraid that this same colleague that charged Roy is going to bring charges against Greg and possibly charges against me as well. Uh, I'm, Mike House was the retired clergy that got married, and Mike House and I are co-officiating. So it is possible that Greg and Mike and I will have charges brought against us after October 1st. Um, I don't care. I will say this for the, for the bishop. We have a system here. Same-sex weddings have been happening now in our conference kind of under the radar now for several years, and a lot of people don't even know that. What happens is that you let your district superintendent know that you're going to be performing a wedding, and you have someone, a friendly colleague, file a charge against you. So when the unfriendly person calls up the office and says, I want to bring charges against Jane Grainer, the bishop says, no need, charges have already been filed. But they've been filed by a friend. And so um, it never goes to trial. Uh, you have a meeting with the bishop, and the punishment is you have to give a $100 donation to UMCOR. <laughs> And, but it has to be personal. Your church can't pay for it for you. But still, I mean, uh, and this bishop has arranged that, so I've got to give him credit for that. Uh, so nothing, I, I, I may get charged. Nothing will come of it. The most that will happen is I'm poor with another $100. Uh, and, and in fact, I almost want her to charge me. Yeah, you, you go ahead. I'll see. Um, I'm, I mean, it's a very fluid situation about how to support them right now. Um, but if, I, if, if anything is announced, um, I mean, if they, if they have to, like, fly to another, it, it could be that the two gay ones, um, uh, they take themselves out. Florida goes ahead and has a, a, a called clergy session and goes ahead and commissions the rest of them. Those two go off to another conference get commissioned and then appointed back to Florida. But they might need um, plane fare or something like that. If there's any way that we can give money to them, I want to. But, it, but it's a very fluid situation about how it's going to be handled. But I can tell you, um, lots and lots of people all over our denomination are trying to find some way to help these Florida commissionings. Um, and we're, we're, we're working on it. So anyway, that's, 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 that's up to date. And so. Yes, I'm going to be here at Trinity another year. So I think, uh, like I said, I would, have, I would have said no. Well, sometimes they call you up and they ask you, do you want to be moved? Sometimes they call you up and say, you are moving. If they had asked me, I would have said no. If they had told me, I would have done the process of reconsideration. Um, 
I want y'all to know that because I want y'all to know that I choose Trinity. Uh, I want to stay here. And I think the cabinet certainly realized that this would be an awful time for this church to go through a pastoral transition. I mean, can you imagine what, what a bad idea really that is? Uh, and, and, and that church, they're, they're going to get a fine new pastor. I think it's going to work out really, really well. So any other questions, comments, emotional outbursts, which I'm always going to say now. One other thing, um, uh, I meant to lead with this. Many people have asked me, can we make masks optional now? And I wanted to get a feel from the people here in this room. I'm fine with making a mask optional, but I wanted to get um, some input then from, and I'll also be asking the next Trinity Times, but just what, what do you guys think that are already here? CDC. Yeah, did they say that they let go of some of the restrictions? Yeah. Yeah, and so, and you know, they're not required down in restaurants or stores anymore. No. I just wanted to be sensitive because um, we have older people oftentimes and want to be sensitive that they might have, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Well, pre existing issues, but. but compromised. Com com yes, compromised immune systems, thank you. Uh, so. Well, if they do, they can wear the mask. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I'm, concerned as to, I'm kind of waiting until I find out how the summer, mm -hmm. uh, it, it, it might increase, we might have another surge, in which case mm -hmm. I just, I want to be prepared. So I'm yeah. running around with a mask a lot. They said the surge will come this fall. Mm -hmm. The doctor, I have had one booster, and I asked him about the second one, and he said he would wait till about August or September to get ready for there's an article in the paper today about COVID and about that we're probably better off right now because it's so hot. You know, on when you, <laughs> when you Blessing in disguise. Yes, there you go. Yeah. Well, um, I, I would agree. Make masks optional. optional. If you're not comfortable without a mask, then you could wear a mask. Yeah. But if I'm in somewhere where I'm doubtful about people being fully vaxxed or fully boosted, I don't usually like to name call, but if I think I'm in a bunch of rednecks, I'm going to wear my mask. Well, my feeling is is that we changed the policy where masks are optional for yeah. people who have been fully vaccinated. Right. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. yeah. I never want to yeah. say you can't come here. Right, right, uh, right. I mean, some people really have legitimate medical reasons why they can't get a vaccination. If you're not yeah. fully vaccinated, uh, yeah. then you please wear a mask. You're still welcome. If you are fully vaccinated, then it's your choice. Yeah. I think that's what I'm going to suggest then. Um, okay. Mike, um, don't we have a little prayer, though, for, those, for, for the Florida folks and for Roy's charge? So let's, let's pray. Dear loving and gracious God, we are so happy with all of the progress that has been made, and we just rejoice with the way that our conference is going. But we know that still there are others though have, that, have, that are still hurting, and that includes Isabel and Ryan from Oak Lawn, and it includes Roy with these charges brought against them, and particularly this includes the Florida commissionees. We pray that your comfort is, that they feel your comfort and feel your strength, and they feel the power of the Holy Spirit, 
and they feel the love surrounding them from all over this denomination, how much they are loved and supported. And so we pray that they be able to feel this just in the essence of their being. And we pray this in the name of Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Okay.